0: The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point of Florida State's campus in the hottest room in seminal sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on WVFS.FSU and are also air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 856 443 3871 and as always, if you miss this show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. This is your host, Gabe Tisness, and welcome back to another episode of Tomahawk Talk. I hope everyone is having a great start to their week. You know, Monday is not my favorite day, especially when it's this gloomy and cloudy as it was today in Tallahassee, but it's always great to cap off the night with some sports talk. And joining me as always, back on the show, William Haynes, my co-host. William, how you been since you... Had a little week break. Yeah,
1: I've been good. A little bit of a, a short hiatus one week. So I'm back not only to talk sports with you guys, but to continue my valiant fight of keeping Premier League soccer discussions off the air of this station. <laughs> so to all the listeners that went through that last week, my apologies. <laughs> but I am back to continue the the good fight. Um, got some bad news as a Bucks fan. Marpet, Ali, Ali Marpet, the Pro Bowl guard, is retiring. So while I'm all aboard the Blaine train for 2022, you've got to have somebody in front of him to protect him so I'm a little concerned in that front Uh, and also with no collective bargaining agreement being reached for Major League Baseball by end of day today opening day officially is not starting on time so that's not great news either.
0: Hey but at least you got those those Bucks uniforms you know to look out for in 2023 the 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 throwbacks the ones that everyone used to hate and now apparently they're they're in style.
1: That's what works ugly is in in 2022. Yeah
0: there you go that'll win you football games. Hey, if you don't want to talk about Premier League football, I'm I'm gonna talk about anything going on with with the Bucks that's not going north. Um but joining you on the show is also Jackson Bakich. How's your how's your weekend been, dude?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, if it was any better than any other weekend I've had, I'd be dead. You know, it's just just been great. I'd great. be
0: scared if that was the case.
2: Great weekends going on. But just real quick, I appreciate you know me coming on or I appreciate y'all having me on, but William, did you say you're all aboard the Blaine train? Is that what I heard? Did I Absolutely. hear that correctly?
0: 1,000%. What happened to Kyle Trask?
1: When I, I believe it was Brett that filled in a couple weeks ago. We were talking about right after the Brady retirement.
0: who?
2: What everyone, about bringing Sean McGuire out of retirement?
1: Well, that would be fine, too. But I was asked the day Brady retired who I thought the buck starter in 2022 would be. I'm Blaine Gabbert all the way. Blaine train, 1,000%.
0: Did you hear Bruce Aarons talk about him? Is that what motivated you into...
1: Well, he said that, that they were fine with the quarterback's head on the roster. I think there's no question that Kyle Trask isn't quite ready to play NFL-level football. And, and Blaine Gabbert is a first-round talent. He's been around. He's been in this system. He's got all the weapons.
0: First-round talent. He was a first-round draft pick Pretty back sure in the day. Would you take Kenny Pickett or Blaine Gabbert? Blaine Gabbert. Okay.
2: See, but Sean McGuire had to be ready on a day's notice to play against Clemson in, in 2014, who was— a top 25 team at the time, and he came in and threw for a, over 300 yards on the biggest stage.
1: He kept the college football playoff season alive.
2: That's very true. I don't, the kid, the I, it is a winner, simply I, put. He's,
0: <laughs> I, I know Luke Hazen is listening to the show right now, and he's very disappointed in you, William. <laughs> but we got to carry on. Also, joining us on the show is Max Rennie making his debut as. You know, first, second semester, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go.
3: It's been quite a while. I haven't been on since probably at least November. Mm-hmm. Took a little hiatus since joining the newspaper. The
0: baseball ended, and you know, Max went to yeah. retirement mode. But yeah, you, you mentioned the they- newspaper. Shout out to Max for, for joining the FSU, uh, FSU's local run, uh, student run newspaper. So uh, it's been really cool seeing you, you know, learn more about other sports in, in, in FSU. But particularly baseball, and you know, this is your time to shine, dude.
3: Oh, yeah. FSU baseball off to a great start. Maybe a a rough week in my eyes. (laughs) Jackson over here might disagree. Losses will happen in baseball. But losses don't seem to be happening for our softball team, Mm. who
0: are going absolutely berserk right now. Yeah, they are definitely a team to watch going forward. And uh, we'll get into all that. We'll get into all FSU sports, also the basketball team that we still apparently have. Um, But before that. Shout out to Scott in the production booth, he just came in to to fix our audio a little bit, so always shout out to him for, for keeping us sounding our best. And you know guys, it is usual that we lead off the show with something juicy, something controversial surrounding sports, but today unfortunately we have to start off with some tragic news surrounding Ukraine and Russia. While war rages in Eastern Europe, its effects can be felt and seen everywhere, including the sports fields. Today, Russia was officially kicked out of the 2022 World Cup by FIFA after three nations agreed to boycott playing Russia in World Cup qualifying. The Champions League final was also stripped away from St. Petersburg just three months before its kickoff. And now, I don't think any of us want to actually get political or, you know, get into stuff outside of sports, but it's clearly affecting the sports world. And it's needless to say, there's something bigger that sports going on right now. There's a bigger picture that we must, uh, you know, kind of keep in our prayers and in our thoughts. But... For the most part, I mean, we we can see anywhere we we look how this this war is is affecting players, coaches, front office people, people who work on stadiums. There's there's countless of lives that are their uh their lives are, are being affected in a negative way, and so uh, we would obviously like to just give this time to to share um, our thoughts on it, and you know yeah, just inform people about how this is going to affect uh, many sports, not just soccer. But throughout the whole world so um, it's not the funnest thing to talk about by any means but um, it is important to talk about in my opinion so yeah William I don't know if you if you have any thoughts any anything you want to you want to share
1: yeah I mean first of all backing up what you said this is a sports program we're here to kind of talk about this the sports lens of things And, and you mentioned Russia and their teams being banned from from the World Cup and hosting various events Um, For a state or a nation to to come against a country like Russia is one thing, but when you have at the individual level the players who are, you know, if you're talking about the Czech Republic or or Poland or Sweden that pulled out of that, that World Cup qualifier, these are players like they're not in it for the millions. These are players that have sacrificed and worked very hard to represent their country in the highest stage. And they are standing up for what they believe in and sitting out those games. And then uh, about a week later, we had the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, uh, Russia uh, recommend Russia and Belarus banned from international events and, and FIFA and the World Cup and all that. So uh, I just think that's the important part to mention is that the players, because these are athletes and and they're, they're, they're stepping aside. And what's a huge mo- moment for them in their career uh, to stand up for something bigger?
0: Yeah, I think. I heard somebody say once that sports is the reward for a functional society. And obviously we're talking about the world, so it's very much several functioning societies that need to happen for this to to be a sweet reward that we know it to be. But at the same time, you know, whether it's the the, the Russian Champions League team that is now unable to play in the Champions League uh, or or these players in in the World Cup that um, are just dropping out and making a statement. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has something they can do uh, to combat this, this horrible thing that's going on in Eastern Europe. So Jackson, what are some of your thoughts on this?
2: Well, first of all, thoughts and prayers to the civilians and women and children and athletes of both nations um, suffering through this terrible, terrible occurrence. Um, This invasion is is really what it is. And, uh, you know, civilians on both sides Neither of them deserve this, neither of them deserve to go through this, but um, I think there's a, a common misconception with sports and politics. I, I think, you know, sports is definitely a sacred place where people go to escape from daily lives, but at the same time to completely, I'm not saying anybody here did it, um, but to completely negate the idea that that politics doesn't belong in sports, I think is wrong. Um, you know, you look back, you look at the, you know, the black power fist at the Olympics or you look at even stuff like the Miracle on Ice, like that all has politics, that all has things to do with and there there's stories. And it is our job in the media to report it. And, you know, it deserves to be talked about and you know people necessarily don't like it jammed down their throats and I, I understand that but to completely not talk about it i think would be a disservice to everybody
0: yeah i think everyone should understand that this is something going on and for us not to talk about it it's basically saying we're not acknowledging something very important in our world today it's like not acknowledging the pandemic when it started you know canceling the nba season it is going to affect you in some way or another and for now we're going to highlight the the players the, the coaches the teams that are, you know, having to step up first and foremost and, you know, make w- whatever they can with, with, with the little voice that they have. And, um, you know, whether it's, uh, I mean, even with, with, with soccer teams, like, it is pretty common to see, kind of like what Jackson was saying, like, politics get into, uh, in, into the field. I mean, with Barcelona and Real Madrid, two of the biggest soccer teams in the world uh, and, and two of the biggest cities in Spain, they're constantly uh, feeding a, a rivalry based on what started out outside of the field with uh, the Catalunians, um, you know, their, their with revolution movements, you know, it's just what happens. Um, and that's not to say that with when you come to the field, you can't, like, put that to the side, but at the same time, you have to be knowledgeable and um, you, ca- you can't be ignorant about what's going on right now. And, and like I said, we're not going to get into politics. We can share a little bit more about how, how players are, are being affected by this. So, um, yeah, Max, w- what are other players that you've seen that, Well, having to make a statement
3: quickly to reflect on what these guys have been talking about, oftentimes, and I know Scott in the booth will agree with me on this. uh, You hear so often in our sport management classes that sport isn't separate from politics. It's actually a reflection of the Mm -hmm. political state and nature going on in society, and it's it's often overlooked because you know sports fans are going to focus on the sports. But like Jackson said here, there's countless times throughout history where sports really do enhance and reflect upon movements and big times in political history i
2: can't believe that for not to interrupt i can't believe i forgot about jesse owens in yeah, in, exactly. uh, in germany in the olympics
3: mm-hmm. no doubt and now moving on to what you were saying there's so many different not only like soccer like you were mentioning there's so many different players and teams just getting affected by this and oftentimes if not all the cases these athletes are not at all in agreement with what's going on on the political stage and you can see it through most recently in the Dubai Tennis Championships after his semi-final victory Russian tennis player Andrei Rublev wrote no war please right on the camera very strong message to say the least but a quick shout out also irrelevant to my oldest brother Alex he will be very interested to know that Russia has already Lost control over the 2023 World Junior Hockey Championships. World Junior Hockey Championships, probably one of the lesser known <laughs> or watched things, but my oldest brother Alex really loves them, and I bet he'll be very happy. To uh, hear I know a lot gosh,
2: of people gosh. that are actually really interested in that tournament. Yeah, no, so yeah. I mean, it's a pretty big deal.
3: I've watched it a couple times. Very, very fun watch. Really is.
0: Yeah. Another player that I would like to highlight is uh, Manchester City's left back. Forgive me if I mispronounce this, but Alexander Zinchenko, he's set to start tomorrow's semi-final FA Cup match um, and you know it just shows the mental strength that, that some of these players are going to have to, to showcase um, and thankfully Pep Guardiola talked to him, the, the Manchester City coach, and it seems like it's going to do him more good to play the game and you know enjoy it and, and you know show that he he's also fighting internally that this this emotional batter that battle that, that his country is going through. Um, so yeah, there's there's, there's there's definitely so many players that we can talk about here, but um, yeah, I just wanted to you know kind of touch on it and, and I think we've done that. So unless anybody else wants to comment on it, we can move on to even more controversial news, uh, this time more so on, on, on the sports world focused on, on itself. But the MLB, like William was saying at the start of the show, it, it's hoping to start by March 31st, but most likely not because the MLB and the MLBPA have failed once again to finalize a deal, some sort of compromise between players and uh, front office people. And it just seems like it's gonna be at least a month or so before um, you know players can actually get on the field. And um, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but I love sports. And it's a shame to see this happen. I remember when the NFL almost had a lockout in 2011. Um, you know, Soccer's had many issues with the Champions League and, and all that stuff. And anytime you hear this kind of stuff, it, it's just annoying as fans. And obviously there's there's a lot of money that comes into sports as well. But, yeah, I think um, th- this this is a big reflection on what the MLB is today. Um, there's been uh, a lot of criticism for, for how the league hasn't adapted to to its modern counterparts like the NFL, the NBA. Um, so I'll leave it to you, William, and, and the rest of the baseball crew that we have t- tonight to kind of sh- talk about what's going on with MLB and what your expectations are for the rest of the uh, this momentary lockout.
1: Yeah, especially on a night like this where the owners had had given end of day today as a deadline to have opening day on time, which is March 31st. we passed that. Uh, Spring training games were slated to begin last week. We had pitchers and catchers that were supposed to report multiple weeks ago. So we're already well behind the eight ball. There was uh, kind of rumors that was pushed back, but the owners, I guess today, had essentially said that they're not going to have any games in the month of April. So we're already talking about like 30 games getting lopped off The top of the schedule, and this is the second season in a three-year span where a full 162-game season will not be achieved. And what does that say to fans? Major League Baseball right now is in a tough spot where they're losing popularity left and right, even without this kind of stuff with the labor dispute and this and that. And if you know you're Major League Baseball and you want to say to your fans that you're committed to giving them a good product and you you want to put the players out on the field, second time in three years
0: without a full season, what, what what are we supposed to take away from that as fans? So, like I said before, I'm not the biggest baseball guy, like 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 I was saying, and I mean, William, it seems like from what I've read that the MLB doesn't want to pay its players what they're due. Uh, it's it's obviously not the the most uncommon dispute, but how do you see that playing out right now? Is it something that the players actually have something to gripe about, or or is the MLB kind of in the right?
1: Well, in any kind of labor dispute, that that's the ultimate conversation being had. Is you know, are you placing blame on the owners for for trying to you know pinch their pennies, as as people would accuse them of, or of the players potentially being greedy? Those are, are the kind of the two sides that it comes down on. Um, baseball is unique, where without the salary cap um, and and things of that nature, you're really having uh, you have teams at the top and the Dodgers and the Yankees that spend all kinds of money on all kinds of players. But then on the other side of that coin, you have teams like the Orioles and the pirates that bottom out and they don't pay anyone because they they know they can't compete and they don't want to have the salary and there's no rules in place to make them pay players. You also have this situation with with team control and arbitration where, you know, if you're a player that's drafted or you're signed as an international free agent, you have, you know, 5 or 6 years of team control where you're making, you know, maybe 550 grand a year where if you're one of those really good players in a free market, you'd be making maybe $20 million, you know, 40-fold what they are making now under, you know, the current system. So, um, you know, there, there's the, their argument on both sides. And, um, you know, to put it that way that I did, there's a, a large disagreement between both sides, and it's going to take a lot to bring them closer together.
0: From what I've read, like I said, it's been four consecutive years of player pay decreasing. And from the baseball players that I've talked to, or even non-baseball players that, you know, failed to make it, it seems like making the MLB is extremely hard, you know, going through the minors and, and everything else. It's it's quite the journey to even make it there. And then for, for the pay to become this this much of an issue, it, it's kind of disappointing, uh, Max.
3: Well, I think the bigger like issue here is it's not even just the owners are unwilling to pay their players. I mean, the MLB is notorious for signing just monstrosity contracts. I mean, you got Mookie Betts not that long ago signing a $365 million deal. You got Stanton like 10 years ago signing almost a $400 million contract. It's not even the issue of in the MLB, if you're good enough, you'll eventually make just egregious amounts of money. The issue is those first five to six years like William was talking about, yeah. you, you have these kids that are like kids, like 15-, 16-year-old foreign players being bought from overseas coming in and just being studs immediately, being so good, and not getting their due justice whatsoever, and a prime example, not a foreign player, Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant just finished his arbitration this year. I think this year, maybe last year, either way. He is someone who should have made a lot of money two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, and just never got that opportunity because of the very flawed system in which arbitration works in the MLB, and you see teams trying to give their more due justice recently, like the Rays and the White Sox giving their rookies these huge deals, like the Wander Franco deal and I'm blanking on the other ones. I think it was uh Oh, their left fielder, Aloy Jimenez, I'm pretty sure just got a huge one too. It's it's not even the problem of pay eventually. It's just the loophole, the way they just abuse these young players and five to six years, like you said, they might even not even get to the bigs in that time, yeah. and it, once they're there, they want to cash in as quickly as possible because you can just fall out of the league at any given time.
0: Jackson.
2: So yeah, I I totally agree with that, but at the same time, the owners have all the control, and you know I, I was talking to Luke Hazen yesterday, former Tomahawk Toast Toast Tomahawk <laughs> Talk host and uh he made a great point you know the players association is supposed to be fighting for and looking out for players and they're doing that but at some point they'll be hurting the players by fighting for them too much because if the MLB doesn't budge the players association the players association will not be doing their job and making sure the players get paid so it, it comes down to that that balance point of you know how long do how far do we take this um do we take it up to the point, you know, is this a ride or die type of thing? Are we willing to not get paid for an entire year or maybe perhaps who knows how long to make sure that these structural changes get in place? Because at the same time, yes, the owners would lose a lot of money, but they're still the billionaires. And I'm not on a Karl Mark, Mark soapbox here, but they're still the billionaires. You know, they, they have the money. The players do not. So uh, it's an it's an interesting dichotomy there to see how that's going to play out. Do
0: you you foresee that being the the possibility with a year, a complete season just wiped out?
2: I don't think so Um, because money is money and people want to make it. So uh, at some point there will be an agreement Um, because as time goes by, money goes away because, of course, time equals money, and uh, we'll get to a point where both sides will have to come to an agreement. They have to because the longer this goes on, the more fans they lose and the more money they lose as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a compounding issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're coming off a, a 2020 season just a couple of years ago where players were making a prorated salary 60 games versus 162. There were no fans in the stands. You're missing out on ticket sales, concessions, all that. So both sides lost a ton of money, and as Jackson was saying – You're going to be really hard-pressed to do that again. I I just don't think either side can really afford that. When you do eventually get back to play, there's concerns. Um, When you look at the 2020 season, how it kind of started out of nowhere and you had a shortened spring training uh, before that 60-game season, there were a lot of pitcher injuries. Guys weren't stretched out to even begin the year. And then in 2021, when they went from 60 to 162 – there were compounded injuries because of that, because the, the pitchers weren't ready uh, to be stretched back out to that extent. So if you're talking about another year where you know maybe they come to an agreement in a, in a couple weeks and they say, all right, you have maybe 21 days to get ready for a season because we want to start the regular season ASAP, you're looking at the same thing that we've been doing the last couple of years, which is injuries and really not a completed prod- product of what it should be. So even at this point, you're already just behind the eight ball, I think.
0: Max?
3: I just want to cap everything off as as glint or as what is it as poor as we're making this situation seem and it is it's definitely not looking like it's going to be solved anytime soon there were some major major strides made over the past weekend and maybe on Friday as well to the point where up until then it it looked like we would be months away from any type of baseball of any type but there is definitely some progress going whether or not it's going to be done in the next four and a half hours basically impossible it sounds like but and the reason for that is they've basically figured out a lot of the logistics outside of like the most significant economic issues which are as we've talked about the luxury tax thresholds and rates the minimum salary and the new arbitration all of those are very very big deals and it doesn't sound like the mlb and mlbpa are very close on it either that It says right here that they're still 13% away on the arbitration increase, which has to increase because right now some guys are having MVP-like seasons and still getting paid nothing. And
1: and deadlines can can be a great motivator in these kind of bargaining agreements. Um, If it's true that the entire month of April's games are being canceled, that's 30 games already that players aren't going to be paid for this season. So um, the owners came into this when December 1st, 2021 hit, the owners were very clear that they weren't going to budge on basically about anything, and that all these, you know, drastic demands that the players have been making, the owners are saying, yeah, we're just not going to do this, and and they were content on waiting the players out. So the players already today, with not reaching agreement, have already started to lose money, and it looks like the owners are just going to continue to bear down.
0: I mean, I don't make this, I don't mean to make this a bigger deal than what it is. It just seems like a really huge deal to be able to postpone a season a whole month without even any source some sort of you know hope that that that'll be enough and, and so i look back on you know the 2011 nfl lockout that almost happened and uh, even with the college stuff that we've talked about how uh, players are, are asking for for some sort of compensation where do you guys see this as being like one of the bigger outside of the the field sport, sports sports storylines uh it seems like the mlb has a lot of hubris on their side of things but then again the mlb or excuse me the, the nba also had a lot of Issues with with the pandemic and how they handled the, the bubble and and then the, the the next start of the season you know they made their players play pretty quickly right after that bubble um, postseason tournament so where do you guys see this ranking perhaps
1: I don't think it could ever top the strike-shortened season in 1994 where they basically played almost the entire regular season and canceled the World Series I don't it's going to be hard to, to kind of match that but I do kind of you, you do get those similar feelings and when you look at kind of baseball, which is already in trouble as far as their fan base. The World Series ratings have been in constant decline in the last decade. Um, Since the 1994 strike, when you just look at the generations of fans, many older fans... Today, have only recently started coming back around because there was a lot of fans that boycotted the sport after that strike and everything. Like, my dad is one of them. I haven't, he's only recently come out to the ballpark the last couple of years, finally kind of getting over what was just a a really atrocious and, and, you know, inexcusable thing. And then you have the newer fans who weren't around in 1994. So, all the momentum you've made since then, gaining back that ground, they can't afford to ha- not only have the older generation going away, but the newer generation having really their first strike. It's just, to me, that that's a that's a leap too far that, that baseball, I don't think, can come back from.
0: Certainly. I just
3: think, I don't even know where to put it in the realm of what you were just discussing, but I think in a year, maybe a couple of years, people are going to look back on this, and it's, it's going to be, in my opinion, this is a little drastic because you don't see that often major commissioner changes No commissioner in sports, and all of them are arguably bad outside of maybe Adam Silver. (laughs) No one gets more heat right now than Rob Manfred for the countless bad decisions he's made over the past two, three years. I think this summer, depending on how bad this goes in it, let's say it expands into two more months without MLB regular season. I think you look back on it, and I think this was a fireable offense for Rob Manfred. On top of, the MLB player associate, it's not even all Manfred's fault and the office's fault. The player's associate head, Tony Clark, does not get much liking either. Like, he's not been very good at his job over the years. He's not been making these moves up until this year, and he's trying to do it all at once. I think both should be out of their position within, I think, uh, Manfred's deals through 24. So.
2: But the commissioner represents the owners, correct?
3: Yes, yeah, so the owners would have to vote him out. But But, I th- but the
2: But the owners are doing what they want, and Manfred's letting them do it. So so why on earth would they fire because him?
3: Because it's not just off the field No, issues. I'm, I'm, well, aware. It's, it's I'm well aware. It's not just economic issues. It's everything. Changing the baseball. A implementing... lockout like this kills the sport. And yeah. That, that yeah. hurts the owners at the end of the day. And it all goes back to Manfred. It all goes back to Manfred.
0: Yeah, and he, he's only been in there for a couple of months. It seems uh, December 2nd, 2nd was whenever he was instituted. It he was what? 2015.
3: Oh, okay. But see, like was
0: gone. Oh, they're, they're talking about – I was reading something. I'm sorry. Okay. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely disappointing. Uh, I, I hope that you all get a season because it would suck. Um, but we'll, we'll get into the FSU side of baseball, you know, in the second half of this show. So um, thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to WS Hassi, the voice of Florida State.
4: I'm Noah Hearing, and this is the weekly Seminole segment, highlighting and relaying all of the latest in Seminole athletics. We begin with FSU golf in Tallahassee where Amelia Williamson took home the individual champion title at the Florida state matchup. She finished seven under par with a total of 209 in the three days with a bogeyless back nine on day three of the tournament. This women's golf team looks refreshed coming into the season following the cancellations and uncertainty brought by the COVID-19 pandemic last year. This weekend they placed second overall as a team after winning the moon invitational earlier last week. Williamson and the Knowles look to do the same at the Augusta Invitational on March 12th. The FSU men's golf team is looking very impressive as well. All six players hit under par on Sunday, and the FSU men's golf team is leading, tied with Oklahoma State University in day two of the Cabo Collegiate Invitational. With five players hitting under par and one even, with a team score of 18 under, the Noles look to advance individually as well as take the team title in Mexico. For the next match, the Knolls will travel to the Golf Club of Houston for an for the All-American Intercollegiate. And now, from the tee to the track, we move to Blacksburg, Virginia, where Trey Cunningham and Young Odeon each took home ACC individual titles on the final day of the ACC Indoor Championship. Cunningham earned his fifth straight ACC title in the 600-meter hurdles with a time of 7.42 seconds. He is now the first college athlete to run 7.42 or faster three different times. Cunningham ran a 7.4 flat for the 600-meter hurdles in in a preliminary race, which is his personal best, and the second-fastest time in NCAA NCAA history. For women, Odian took home the gold medal in the 200-meter dash with with a time of 23.36 seconds and also finished second in the 600-meter dash with a time of 7.29. Odian was awarded the Women's Track Most Valuable Performer, making her the second female FSU athlete to win the award. Overall, the men finished second with 72 points, while the women finished seventh with 43 points. With multiple school records broken and many personal records set, the Noles are looking great. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Seminole Segment. Gabe and William, back to you.
0: Thank you so much, Noah, for that breakdown of FSU golf and uh, what was the other one? Track. Track, there we go. Er- I thought it was cross country. So no, track yeah, was but, in there. But, you know. One of them. There we go. So, yeah, FSU baseball. There's a lot to talk about because two losses are a reason for chaos. And, you know, we talked a lot about soccer <laughs> last week on the show, and William was really disappointed. So we brought on the, the FSU – or the F, the, not the FSU baseball experts, the baseball experts as a whole in Jackson and Max. So help us break it down, guys. What happened this past weekend?
3: I just want to say one quick bit, and then I'll let him jump in. Don't get me wrong. Baseball is a long season. Losing twice is not a big deal. But losing twice to Samford and Jacksonville, of course, at Jacksonville, a bit of a more understandable loss. just can't be happening when you're the number 10 team in the country, in my opinion.
2: I mean, it's baseball. You're, you're, you're facing a different team every single time you play. It's hard to beat a team three times in a row. Uh, and we've played Samford a lot. I mean, they're a Division One baseball school. I mean, they're, they're a solid program. Um, they came into the series 4-0. So it's not like they were some pushover just because you know they're not ranked, they're not highly well known, um, and also, Ju it was Ju right? Yeah, yep. Ju. I mean Ju is also a solid program. They're a team that you know flirts with the NCAA tournament almost every year. So, uh, and we were also talking about this pre-show. If they go five and two the rest of the year, that means they're forty and, and ten. No, they play they play fifty-six games in the regular season. So that's something along the lines of like forty-three and. Uh, Something very good. Something still. very good. Correct. So,
3: but you're yeah. losing these games to the not even ACC teams. The teams that once you travel to Virginia to Duke, who's those two teams probably aren't even the biggest baseball schools. But you can't be losing these so-called cupcake games to begin the year.
2: I. I, I won't at, lie. At that level of baseball. Yeah. If you win every single series, now obviously you have a couple single games here and there. If you win every single series, there's nothing to worry about. I um, I, I totally agree. And uh, as long as you're not losing series, you should be absolutely fine. Um, we – excuse me, not we, but Florida State as a program has won um, – for decades has won 40 games or more. Uh, so right now they're on track, like we were saying, to win more than 40 games in the regular season. Florida State has won more than 40 games um, – Throughout the entire season, including the postseason, including the ACC tournament. So it is definitely not the time to hit the panic button. I think Florida State looked absolutely great these past few games. Bullpen kind of screwed them over on Sunday, but it happens. Um, baseball is a game of longevity. And, you know, I kind of want to throw this out. I think it's really interesting how in Major League Baseball they play. I know we're talking about Florida State Baseball here, but just real quick, how in Major League Baseball, They play the same amount of playoff series games in a 162-game season as... Actually, they play less sometimes if you include the the DS. uh, They play five games. But in basketball, they play a seven-game series for an 82-game season. And then they play a seven-game series as well for a 162-game season. It is absurd. It is absurd. I'm not saying... And maybe I'm saying that basketball should be less or baseball needs to increase the amount of games in the series but it's just all I've always found that perplexing how it's so disproportionate
3: and you know quickly to touch on the MLB lockout once more that's actually still a major stickling point because now they're cutting off the whole month of April it seems and the MLB wants to expand the postseason as they should but it doesn't seem like they're going to do that if they're not even going to start on time but back to FSU baseball here's what I'm here's my point FSU baseball should win two out of three games all season long. That's fine. That's a good sign. But that's mostly because they have the two best tandem left-handed pitchers, or right-handed, or any side. They have the two, they have the best tandem pitching staff in all of college baseball, and I am 100% confident in that. Parker Messick is ungodly so far. Bryce Hubbard, this, the one tiny step below him. I mean, these two guys are absolute studs, studs right now. What do you say his, William, what do you say his K per nine right now was like 18?
1: Yeah, it, it's up there at an absolute absurd level that, that doesn't even make sense. And you guys were talking about the playoff series. Florida State baseball, when, when postseason play comes around and you're playing these three-game series and you've got these two starting pitchers on your roster, I mean, what, what else could you ask for? They're, they're in fantastic shape with mm. the way those two guys are going right now.
0: Yeah, just to recap what happened over the week, Jacksonville lost 2-3, to three, then went on ahead and played Sanford in a three-game series. They won 7-0, 7-1, but then ended up losing 7-4 in the last game on Sunday at home. And Parker Messick, he was named ACC Pitcher of the Week. He threw a career-high 13 and a one-hitter. And, yeah, certainly it seems like that duo is going to be the main reason why Florida State remains in contention in the postseason down the line, but for now, it's it's a little bit disappointing to see those two games on the wrong side of things. But at the same time, you have to take it for with a grain of salt, I think. And and you know, th- there's a lot of games to be played. But I understand why you're why you're concerned, Max.
3: And I think we talked about this briefly before the show. Another major concern when you have these two studs like this, you're almost FSU is almost guaranteed going to get six innings pitched by both these guys every single start this season, outside of injury and the occasional slot, the occasional just. Every once in a while, the greatest of pitchers get hit around. But what that does is it gives your bullpen a limited amount of experience and just, I don't know, like on the field, you have to let your pitchers, all of them, get experience and get ready because at any point in time, regardless of the situation, regardless of the uh, intensity of the situation, they have to be ready to go in there and just shove. And right now, two out of their four games of the week, they're not going to be doing that
2: but i i if i asked you would you rather have your bullpen be well rested or uh strained you'd much rather say well rested of course, of so uh i think it's a good problem for fsu to have i think it's it's a much better problem for them to be for them to be too well rested than to be not well, not well rested enough and it's early like you it said like you said it's very early this team still needs an opportunity to grow still needs an opportunity to gel uh and, like you said, the bullpen hasn't had much experience yet, but they'll get it. They'll get it. you if you If you can have your bullpen throw 30 less innings on average than the rest than the rest of the NCAA going into the postseason, that's great. That's a great thing. and they'll still have those innings though. Mm-hmm. They'll still have those innings of experience, but it just takes time. And it it is so hard. It is so hard to be on a winning streak. In baseball it it, and that's why you know the A's winning 21 games the Indians now the Guardians uh, winning so many games a couple of years ago that's why it's a huge deal because you are not the same team every single game at all you're you're a completely different team every single game.
0: And Matt, I- well what's been your biggest concern Max I'm just curious because we've talked a lot about the pitchers and the staff and there's a lot of other great players like Tyler Martin who you know they're gonna have a big part to play but what's been your biggest concern so far at least from this past week
3: third starter without a doubt third starter because look there's no denying it those two Hubbard and Messick are almost unhittable these guys have barely given up hits runners on base whatsoever in their first four starts combined but the third starter should be Carson Montgomery formerly I think he was the number one right-handed pitcher in all of Florida when they brought him in last year but right now he's struggling he's only a weekday starter not a position you really want to hold in college baseball. Ross Dunn's pretty good, and he's actually done decently well. He just doesn't go as far into the games as you would like to see. I think the third starter is clearly the biggest problem. Bullpen, I'll give it to you, Jackson. They just need more experience. The one positive, is you just brought up, the Knolls are really playing well offensively without Tyler Martin, who was arguably their best hitter all last season outside of Matthew Nelson, who is now in the MLB.
1: Yeah, and Tyler Martin, you've got a leadoff hitter that you know that hits 350 in leadoff spot every day, and he's not even playing with them yet. So, as and you said,
3: they're in great shape already. Mike Martin, I got the chance to interview him over the weekend. He's already just all so excited about the top of the, this lineup, the top of the order. Isaiah Perry, redshirt senior. Reese Albert, redshirt senior. Perry's someone who barely played in the first five years he was here, four years he was here. Reese Albert though, Reese Albert's having a great start to his season. I mean, I think he's hitting almost 500 still after a pretty rough 522
1: week. 522 still.
2: You have yeah, Reese Albert, 1A, Isaiah Perry 1B, Logan Lacey, batting second, Al- Alex Torral batting third. Who when do they have scary. who do they have hitting four this they weekend? They they had
3: Mathis I think. No, no, no they, he had was Red, batting. they had Roberts.
2: That's right, Roberts, Roberts. hitting four. You have Tibbs hitting five and Tibbs has been on a home run tear. Mm-hmm. His first pitch as a seminole, he he sends one, you know, almost three fifty over the right field fence. Dang near almost almost swore here. Uh, dang near uh hit the circus tent. So uh <laughs> the offense is early on's in a great shape. Mm-hmm. Um we got a shot and Trayton Rank. It, oh oh hundred percent. Trayton Rank has been an absolute asset. Uh in the series, I was able to watch him. On Friday, he stole two or three bags. Uh, the Saturday ga- day, excuse me, the Saturday game I watched, uh, he I believe he went two for three, something along those lines. So the offense is there, the bats are there, uh, the Knolls they, they lost in the extra innings and had they swept Sanford, I think we would have an entirely different viewpoint of how we're talking about you know whether we should hit the panic button or not. So uh, you know that's that's one bad inning. Um, you can't you can't hitting the panic button because of one bad inning and that's just how I feel
3: no need to panic I, I just think high expectations for this team yeah no I've, FSU's had a bit of a disappointing sports season to this point <laughs> and I uh I really plus the MLB is not looking good so yeah. I, I really want to see Florida State baseball have a great
0: season. I can't blame you Max for wanting this team to really you know give something to to, to Tallahassee to cheer for because you know with, with football and basketball it hasn't been the the best of, of seasons so far and you know I remember when it was about a month or two ago when we were having the same conversation with, with basketball. Is it too early to hit the panic button? And I was very concerned. And unfortunately for me and for the rest of the crew here, there's not been much positive news coming out of that. The, the court over there, obviously, Matthew Cleveland was named ACC Freshman of the Week this past week after hitting the shot heard around the world with <laughs> this buzzer beater um, to give some hope for FSU fans heading into the ACC tournament. Jackson?
2: And obviously the MLB lockout, the inability to reach an agreement stinks. Yeah. It's, it, it's annoying. But I, I, I think a possible silver lining in this is a lot more people will be interested in minor league baseball. A lot more people will be interested in, in college baseball. You know, the passion that it brings. You know, the Section B animals at at Florida State Baseball at Dick Houser Stadium, they're, they're electric. They're amazing. And, you know, you talk about LSU at the box. You are talking about Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Probably the best college baseball rivalry uh, that there is. So, uh, who knows? With 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 MLB kind of pushed to the side for a little bit, uh, the NCAA should really, really take big strides in promoting college baseball yeah, while they can.
0: Not all bad things have to just be that. There, there can be something good on the other side of the fence. But yeah, will and going back to the FSU ba- basketball, we're hearing on on all F- FFC sports right now, but the ACC tournament's on the on the horizon and there's not much hope or is there
1: with with a shot like that with with Cleveland the beautiful in inpa- beautiful inbound pass from the weatherman to get it all the way down the floor they only had a couple of seconds teed the shot up i've been as critical of this team as just about anyone on this program but a win like that late in the season you know it's called march madness for a reason we're we're a couple days away from the the month of march getting started off and Um, They've got two games left in the regular season, both at home against Notre Dame, who's above them in the standings, and then NC State, who's towards the bottom. So you get a couple of chances to maybe get some guys back from injury, work them back into the rotation. And I know that that this team has looked a little bit more barren than teams of of yesteryear, but when we get to the ACC tournament in Brooklyn, this is not just regular season play. This is postseason play. And I trust the pedigree of Leonard Hamilton and his staff and what this program has been able to do. I mean, outside of Duke. North Carolina, and then maybe like a team like Notre Dame, who we will play this week at home in Wake Forest. Everyone else in this conference that you would be facing in that tournament, I feel like FSU has at least a decent chance to beat. And all you got to do is go on a tear. We've seen like Georgetown, we've seen UConn do it. You go on a tear, win the conference tournament, and all of a sudden you're dancing.
0: I'm checking my watch right now, and tomorrow is March. So maybe William is right, but at the same time, hey, The last home game of the season is this Saturday, so we shall see what they do against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, I'm not so much on the positive side of the spectrum. Uh, I don't want to be hurt. I have already been hurt plenty of many times. So I'm going to pump the brakes on you right now, but I am hoping that you are right, Jackson.
2: I think this Notre Dame game will be a great – that that game's Wednesday, I believe, actually. Thursday. Wednesday. Wednesday Wednesday at 7. Who who,
0: who do they play on Saturday? NC State. NC State. State, my bad.
2: Uh. I think that Notre Dame game and the NC State game, but but especially the Notre Dame game, who was at at one point a couple weeks ago leading the ACC. Uh, I think this Notre Dame game will be a great litmus test for the Knolls. I think if they keep it within five, if they lose by five or less, uh, they'll have a decent shot in the ACC tourney. I don't like our chances against a team like Miami, a team that we beat uh, by a combined two points in two games. Um, I don't like our chances because we've we've beaten them twice. It's hard to beat a team three times, and also we were playing with all of our starters, or at least a lot of them when we played them. Uh, so I, I think there's four or five teams that have a real serious threat uh, to taking us out of the tournament. And, and usually we're a tough out because, or usually Florida State's a tough out because they have always been really solid defensively. But with losses with Pitt. Or with losses to Pitt and Wake Forest, it's who knows? Who knows what team's going to show up? So
0: maybe it'll be the Seminoles. Who knows? Um, but as we kind of wrap up the, the basketball side of things, we have to talk about FSU softball because they are what's leading the FSC sports world right now. Um, they were labeled a, an FS or a soccer school in the fall, and now it seems like FSC is labeled as a softball school. Max, what's been the the, the the biggest thing that you've kind of noticed from this team they're they're 15 and 0, they're undefeated they've gone through the whole ESPN tournament 5-0 beating all ranked opponents uh, this team has a lot of players that have a lot of potential outside of you know collegiate sports so running with the all-time winningest percentage coach I believe in Florida State history uh, Alameda she she definitely has something to say about what this team will do in the future, and, and I think they're in good hands. You know, we talk about Leonard Hamilton. He, he's one of the best coaches in, in his sport, and the same is as, as for her. So, Max, what do you have to say?
3: I think the unique thing about this FSU softball team is, you know, typically you hear of baseball teams that are amazing at pitching or baseball teams that are amazing at scoring runs. This softball team is arguably the best at both. They,
2: they don't not, have a weakness.
3: They, they do not have a single weakness. They will – Shut teams out and then run rule them and get the game over with in five innings. They are not playing with any mercy whatsoever. And the leader of it all is clearly Catherine Sandercock. Catherine Sandercock is having, it's almost an unfathomable season. Like, it really is like something you would never even just consider even possible, realistic. It's just 8 0 record, 0.5 ERA. But the kicker, and I'll, I'll break it down because not everyone here is as baseball fanatic as us here in the booth. A.54 whip. Whip is walks, hits per innings pitched. She is giving up less, okay, slightly more than a half a base runner per inning. That is, I can't even talk. Will, talk about that. that that's a coin toss. That's a coin flip chance that every
1: inning she goes out is a one, two, three inning.
3: It's just crazy. And, that, that alone, especially in softball a sport where you really just need one big pitcher, FSU has two other great pitchers. That alone is enough to lead a team to be ranked. But their offense is nuts, too. So far in the season, 15-0, and they've outscored their opponents 104-18. to
2: I don't know much about baseball, but that sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, it's a lot more than, than what they've given up.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for breaking it down. Yeah, yeah No right. problem. <laughs> that should win you a couple games.
0: Yeah. Just, Just a, a handful. Few. So, there you go. We, we've covered basically everything FSU sports so far this past week. And, you know, there's more to talk about. Uh, this, this school has a lot to offer. So, we'll definitely be back next week with plenty of more updates with March Madness, with FSU softball, FSU baseball. Uh, maybe we'll throw in some beach volleyball in there. Why not? Uh, but we do have to talk about our last topic of the day, with sports broadcasters news, because of why not? Of course, for potential broadcasters here in the in the station, uh, we have to talk about other broadcasters who are actually doing it, and one of them is obviously Al Michaels, probably one of my favorite ones. I, I remember as a kid just tuning into Sunday Night Football and, and just being amazed at how good he is at his job. He's the ultimate professional. He's once in a generation almost, I think, and he is apparently looking for something else, right, William?
1: Yeah, it looks like a lot of, of uh, microphones are going to be changing chairs or however you kind of want to look at it. It was all pretty much kicked off with Troy Aikman leaving Fox and, and that, that crew that, that has the you know the number one NFC package and they have the Super Bowl every few years. So he's leaving Fox, leaving Joe Buck to go to ESPN, a five-year $90 million deal. That's, that sets up all kinds of interesting possibilities because Joe Buck has, has done games at Fox with, with Aikman forever. So now all of a sudden, does Buck end up leaving Fox? Does he go with him to ESPN? Um, d- does he go to NBC? There's all kinds of possibilities, and we've seen guys like Sean McVay being offered for Amazon. So um, Aikman moving, it's, it sets in motion all kinds of opportunities, especially with Al Michaels, who was already going to be out the door uh, going into the year.
0: I don't think we've ever had a broadcasting carousel like we, we have in our hands potentially exactly what it is it's it's quite remarkable and you know i think when, when tony romo got hired that's when it, it seemed to me like the broadcasting network was was looking for something else it seemed like there was some change going on in the environment and perhaps this is going to be the first time that we truly see how you know these these networks are, are looking to change uh how the game's being played jackson
2: yeah so i, I literally just had this thought i and forgive me because we didn't talk about a pre-show, but <laughs> no uh, does this move kind of tip the idea that ESPN is vying for a Super Bowl package?
1: They're in the they're in the they're, rotation they're, now. ABC they are now. ABC is in the Super Bowl rotation.
2: Oh, wonderful! Because ABC hasn't really done NFL football in a long, long time. They kind of just gave that off to ESPN, which I've always found kind of odd. Uh, so okay, yeah, because it. it it wouldn't make sense for Aikman to not want to call the Super Bowl anymore. So uh, how many times have, what, How many times have he, has he done it?
1: Oh, with with Fox, he, he must have done at least four or five Super Bowls um, with with them. Because
2: he was with Fox for what, 11, 12 years?
1: Something like that. Yeah, I remember it was him and Collinsworth in a three-man booth with Buck way back in the day before Collinsworth went off to NBC. And, yeah, you, you brought that up with, with ABC now being in the – in the Super Bowl rotation, their Monday Night Football crew with, with Steve Levy and and Lewis Riddick and, and Brian Greasy, that, that's not a crew that's getting it done necessarily on, on the big stage. You don't really want that crew calling a Super Bowl. So Troy Aikman, I think, is the first step. I think that they, they might pair a play-by-play voice. I know Joe Buck um, is, is someone they would like to bring in. But for Joe Buck... He's got probably one of the best jobs in this industry. He gets to call the World Series every year, and he gets to call the the, the Super Bowl every three or four years. So, is he going to want to give that up? Money may play a part as well.
0: You know, sometimes just like athletes, money isn't everything that they care about. And I think we might be seeing that right now. And you know, it's funny that they're targeting these coaches with Sean McVay and you know Sean Payton. Obviously, he's not coaching right now, but he's looking to return to the NFL potentially. And now even John Lynch, an executive, front office guy, it's it's interesting who they're going for right now, and uh, I'm very happy that Sean McVay is staying in football, even though he's in the NFC side of things. I think he's he's got a lot more to prove as a coach, and, and you know he's he's some he's a brilliant mind that I I would hate for him to go and you know he might be a great broadcaster, but you can do that when you're 60, not not just right now. Jackson?
2: Well, I think the best broadcasting gig by far is, is Jim Nance's job. He gets to call the final four and then the next or excuse me. He gets to call the masters and then the next weekend he gets to call the final four. It's 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 either it's one after the other. And yeah, then he gets yeah, to call the, the Super Bowl. And the then he CBS gets to call every single Fox CBS. I mean no, CBS is by far in my opinion a much better gig.
3: Getting to call World Series is just a dream though. And it's just such an a ash-
2: such a shame that we have to listen to Joe Buck every year. I don't mind it, Joe and, Buck. I mean every commentator says kind of some I remember one time Joe Buck said, "This is Game Seven, a most a must win for both teams." I mean, no. it's like, yeah, we get it, Joe, Joe Buck. But but, a, but he he's a he, he tries his best. Yeah, he's decent. He's decent. And it's I like think the hate is a award. I think like, the hate is a little too much for Joe Buck. Uh, he does kind of have the same call every single time, though, you know, and he catches it, you know, it's my that, biggest. That that's a problem, but I don't think it's a huge one.
3: My biggest problem is it's almost like you could play a. An, abu- an adult game with how many times he men- mentions football during baseball broadcasts. It's every time. And it's not even close to football season. Like, oh, actually, I guess it is.
1: Every every time during the World Series, you'll see the Joe Bug drinking games yeah. pop up on the Internet with all the kind of cliches and stuff that he does. To not me, that we
2: advise for drinking here on WVFS, the voice of not. Tallahassee, the to voice me, of Florida State. To
1: me, Joe Buck is is really kind of the he's going to decide where all the pieces move because Fox has the World Series package through 2028. Um, they've got guys in house that they could, but I think if you have the World Series, you really need a premier voice. So maybe you know Joe Buck leaves to to go with Troy Aikman at ESPN, and then what? Maybe Al Michaels going to Fox, and, and he hasn't called you know, World Series baseball since 95, so maybe he wants to get back into that fold. All right,
0: real quick, let's cap off the show with our favorite broadcasters, just one. So, real quick, I'll start off with Ray Hudson, the soccer genius himself. He is notorious for being the biggest Massey fanboy, so that's obviously one of my favorite reasons why he's my favorite broadcaster, but he also just has an incredible dictionary brain that I cannot even comprehend how he just comes up with the weirdest phrases and and, and ways to describe players so he's he's my role model <laughs> but yeah Max Jackson who does do it you have got? to be sports uh I'm just ideally. gonna say one outside of sports right, and go I go
3: David Attenborough I mean I feel like everyone's gonna say that one the, the nature docs you guys aren't nature docs guys uh, we're just uh, looking at him
0: is, and uh this is disappointing it's not clicking that's so dr- that's Jackson so you, you got somebody from the sports world right
2: I, I do, do I do, do. Okay, I do. Good, good. uh It's tough. I I love Chris Fowler and I love Jim Nance, but I'm going to go with Jim Nance. Uh, I think Chris Fowler sometimes doesn't get the love he deserves. Uh, He's a great tennis broadcaster as well. Great tennis broadcaster. Um, But just because Jim Nance, he's the voice of the Masters. You know, it's it's a tradition like unlike any other. And CBS. They're on a one-year deal every year. This is kind of a nugget. They're on a one-year deal every year with CBS, which is really really cool to me. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead, y'all.
1: The, for for the sake of this discussion, I'll go with Al Michaels. I think he's kind of an all-time great in multiple sports. He's he's called legendary Super Bowl finishes. Um, he, he's the Miracle on Ice game, the anniversary of that, one of the greatest hockey games in our country's history, and then also when he was doing baseball. So he was a, a do-it-all guy, and I think he's great at, at everything he does. But how can we be talking about sports broadcasters on this show and not bring up Gene Deckerhoff? as yeah. the, yeah. the crop he's, he's got to be everyone's right number one a huge part of, of getting me into this industry he's just uh you know you talk about a role model he is you know at the top of the class uh, in whatever way you're looking at it
0: yeah that's that's my favorite pick actually so <laughs> i'm glad that you mentioned him because he's definitely an all-time great fsc legend himself but that's going to do it for today's show thank you so much for tuning in for jackson Oh, wait, Jackson's got one last Yeah, we, <laughs> we have to
2: talk about Marv Albert. Yes! <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll end the show right there. Jack For Jackson, for Max, for William, for Ian running Twitter, for Noah coming in for several segments, for Scott in the booth, for everyone else in the station, you've been listening to WVS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.